Yeah, I knew straight away that I'd, I'd broke my back and uh, the pain was kind of instant. And I remember thinking, like, you know, as I was pointing, facing up to the sky, I thought, I think I've just broken my back. And then I thought, oh, no, my mum, mum's watching this. So she's not, she's not going to deal with this very well. Um, you know, then landed back on the ground. And um, then it was just a case of, right, you know, this is how it is. So, you know, whatever's going to happen next, you, you know, whatever comes your way, just... Yeah, deal with it as best you can. Hello there and a very warm welcome or welcome back to the podcast. My name is Steve Ingham. I'm an applied scientist and leader from the world of high performance sport. And on the podcast, I explore all aspects of human performance whether that is getting stronger, fitter, mentally more prepared, eating better, playing better, leading and coaching in different ways, but also how we perform in work individually and as teams. And the way I do that is by speaking with great scientists, practitioners, researchers, coaches, athletes and entrepreneurs. I'm also keen to talk to people from outside of sports, people who are just interested in how we perform as humans. If you enjoy the podcast, then please do share it with friends and colleagues and be sure to subscribe. And if you want to support and champion us, then please do leave a review on iTunes. This week's guest is Abby Eaton. So Abby is a racing driver, having competed in a range of series, including the Mazda Super Cup, Super 2 Series and notably the W Series. She's also a test driver on the series The Grand Tour on Amazon. In this discussion, Abby talks about carving out a career as a woman in a male-dominated sport. She shares her drive, her personal ambitions to not only compete, but to manage, like manage everything from sponsors to training, recovering from serious injury, to earning an income away from racing as a driving coach. And this really encapsulates where perhaps the women's sport is at the moment, with top talent having to cope themselves, making things work as best they can, while staying focused on performing. For me, this is an insight into the mind and pursuit of a pioneer. And I think about the current rise of the England women's football team, the Lionesses, who have been recently thanking all of the women who grafted to make their current rise possible. And I think of people like Abby, making it happen for herself, but also taking the sport forward. Abby Eaton, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Currently a little bit out of puff, a little bit tired. I've just come straight from uh, a training session. So a couple of minutes ago, my heart rate was, uh, yeah, in the 180s, I think. <laughs> was that running to the car or was that from the training session? <laughs> both, both. Uh, yeah, not, not much time to recover after the training session, but um, this was a, a cardio-based session today. So to be honest, I, I needed it because I just come straight from the airport from a from a job, so I was feeling a bit sleepy. So uh, I'm awake now. Put it that way. All right, perfect, perfect po- podcast preparation, uh, uh, a workout beforehand. So that's really interesting. Then, so um, if anyone's watching on YouTube, they can see you in a car. Um, if they're listening on the podcast, then um, Abby's just got into a car, and we've sort of connected on Zoom. So give me a bit of a clue as to what, what does a typical day look for like for you, if there is a typical day at all, or maybe that variation and the variety that you've got? 
Yeah, to be honest, every week is uh, can be different. Um, you know, if it's a kind of race week or you know, in prep for for a race weekend, generally, um, you know, wake up, do some cardio, or wake up, eat breakfast, do some cardio, um, and then it will be a strength session. So we do try and do three full body strength sessions a week, um, and then the two sessions in between are kind of more hit session cardio based stuff. Um, but I'll always do a little bit of steady state kind of each morning as well. Um, and some simulator work in the afternoon. Um, so generally I might go on it for kind of two or three hours if it's a new circuit to learn or, um, just to keep my hand in or, you know, if there's kind of techniques that I need to work on, you know, such as, um, hitting a certain amount of peak break and your break release trace and just trying to kind of fine tune everything before you actually you know, turn up on the weekend and have to work on those things. The more prepared you can be, the better. Um, flip to the other kind of automotive hat that I wear. Um, I do kind of filming for TV, um, TV shows, um, kind of driving for that. Um, TV adverts, music videos. Um, and then the other hat I wear is kind of automotive training. So um, flying to Spain tomorrow to work with a manufacturer and on a new new car launch. So yeah, jack of all trades and um, hopefully master of some of them as well. Right. You've just given me a hundred different things I could ask you questions about. So, <laughs> um, so that that's fascinating in itself. Perhaps before I dive into some of those, could you kind of Tell me a little bit about your background and, and then sort of lead me into how you got into racing. Yeah, so I, um, Northern Girl, grew up in East Yorkshire. Um, family are all up there still. <clears throat> I currently live in Milton Keynes now. Um, got into motorsport how kind of most people really tend to with a, a family member. So my dad has always been in, into motorsport and you know, racing anything that he can. So he started on bikes and then moved to carts and then finally into cars. And um, I was at racetracks when I was in my mum's tummy. So it was only a matter of time till I pestered and pestered for a go myself. <laughs> um, started go-karting when I was 10 years old and then um, did that for about four years and then progressed into cars when I was uh, 15. And then I think this is my 21st year now racing. So um yeah, I think it's my twenty first. I don't really want to add them up if it's any more than that. I'm gonna stop stop thinking about it when it gets to twenty years. <laughs> twenty one years. So, so sorry. I, maybe it's too rude to ask you how old you are, but how old were you start? You know, when you started then. Ten years old. So I'm thirty okay. now. Okay. Yeah. Right. So some people play uh, Beethoven to their uh, the baby in their tummy, but you heard the drone of, uh, of race cars going past. Did you? So that was your. That was the. That was the thing that set you off. Yeah, pretty much. I think. Yeah, it's actually you know falling asleep at night. The best place to do it is when you're at a racetrack and you're at you know in a camper van, um, in a race paddock, and you can hear like generators in the background and race cars in the morning to wake up to. That's yeah, proper way to wake up. Nice, yeah, and a nice little crossover there of of white noise enhancing sleep that for, yeah. for the race. Fantastic, and so, um, and so what what's the, been the progression like for you? How's how's that sort of gone over the years as you started to sort of that's I presume there's an element of this is a pursuit and a hobby. Now I can start competing and now competition becomes a bit more serious. Um, I think probably, you know, when we moved into cars, that's when I, I really fell in love with it. Um, you know, Carton was fantastic for learning the foundations. And I think, you know, if, if anyone wants to, or a kid wants to get into to motorsport and their dad want, or mum wants to know how to do it, I think definitely getting into go-karts 
first is is the way forwards and um you know it just teaches you everything you need to know and then kind of moving into into cars um you know I felt that I belonged there you know car team is great for learning but I didn't really didn't really enjoy it that much because it was a little bit like me and my dad used to call it checkbook racing um you know myself was just me and my dad rocking up in an old rusty van you know getting the car out the back and kipping down in the back of the van on the night type thing so um you know we had second hand chassis second hand engine you know just one of each um and you couldn't really compete with those that were in were in the team so that's why we made the jump into cars and as soon as I did I remember my first time at Donington Park in a it was a Citroen Saxo and I was like this is awesome you know the car's moving around it's sliding around and I loved it and I think probably at that moment there I thought actually this is something that I want to do properly and you know um I will concentrate at school but my my heart lies with with uh, you know motorsport and probably when I got into GTs that was the first year really that I'd kind of moved away from the family race team um and that's when you know I thought actually I have got the chance at a you know professional career here and you know don't get me wrong I'm still not a professional level now you know I'd, I'd class myself as kind of semi-pro in in the sense of my main income isn't from being a racing driver um you know I still still want to achieve that goal of being a, a works driver for a manufacturer so you know I'm still still at it but you know don't get me wrong you know I earn um, well out of a passion in various different forms that we spoke about earlier. Could could you then give us a bit of a, a sense of the landscape then so um, is that semi-pro from the point of view that, that there's still a lack of investment or lack of prize money available or could you just give us a sense of what the tiers look like and the and where you're operating at the moment and where you want to get to and so on? To be a professional driver, you your main income is motorsport, and that means you wake up in the morning, you train, you eat, you go on the sim, and your life revolves around being a driver. I'm not in that situation at the moment. I have to, you know, work every single kind of day that's available to make ends meet. And um, you know, W Series, for example, is a championship that are racing uh, at the moment, and they have a prize fund at the end of it, which is. You know, fantastic if you're able to have a good finish during the year and you you earn decent money at the end of it, but they don't pay you a wage through the year. So, you know, I've got bills to pay, I've got, you know, a house to pay for and so on. So I still need to earn money during the year. And, you know, for example, right now, my, um, you know, preference would be to be on, you know, recovering myself and, um, you know, not getting three hours sleep last night and then going straight from the airport to training and then packing a bag to go to Spain again tomorrow. You know, it's... It's not ideal prep for, um, uh, you know, races that are coming up and especially not after, you know, having the injury that I've had. You know, I'm, I'm still um, not 100 percent. You know, I'm still building that kind of um, that that fitness back and strength back. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the kind of tough part. It's like, you know, semi-pro footballers where they still you know have to fund certain things and bits and bobs. And it's the stuff that you don't really think about um, that can actually turn out to be quite expensive so that's that's the kind of difference really um between you know a semi-pro and a a pro driver so um i I suppose the 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 comparison there i'm making in my head is something like the sailors who they're out on the water they're grafting in all sorts of all sorts of weather and then they they get back out of the boat and they go home and they've got to try and find sponsors. And so they've got to try and create the income so that it allows them to do that. Um, Is there a slight difference here where some of those 
other bits of work you're having to do to create that income that there's it's still in the same field you know you're still making a crust out of being a driver on the grand tour for example or um or specifically um representing a, a motor brand yeah it's it's the same you know i still sit at home and spend hours you know sending out sponsorship proposals and chasing right. unities and all that kind of stuff you know we my friends that are also drivers we laugh and say the motorsport and racing is 95 percent admin and five percent racing because you know you're always looking for opportunities you know to create partnerships with new companies and new um you know people and and brands because you know ultimately that takes a massive weight off your shoulders if you're you know not having to worry about you know for example insurance paying for insurance is you know an expensive thing to have as a, as a racing driver, but it's something that is, is needed. And, um, you know, last year I was caught out a little bit with, with that. So, you know, it's super important to, to have bits and bobs like that in place and have the right cover in place. And, you know, sometimes going to, you know, the, the companies that are actually, you know, the, the ones that have the expertise, you know, they obviously come with a bit of a premium on them as well. So, um, Stuff like that is is where sponsorship comes into play and just allows you to focus a hundred percent on you know, being a driver. But yeah, that that normal thing mm. of paying paying your your mortgage and your rent and your bills and all that. Yeah, and so have you got anybody that does specific parts for you, or equally, if if there are things like your accounts or marketing, those sorts of sponsorship, have you done? Have you had to learn it yourself or have you had some training in that area? Cause I can imagine that's quite demanding when you're thinking, I don't know how to do this, either bringing expertise in or acquiring that yourself. I've done all that myself really? um, just because I haven't got the money to pay others to do it. And, you know, I've never have done, you know, I'm from a, a you know, a background where, you know, we're, we're not on, as my dad would say, the burns of our ass, um, nor would say, um, but you know, we're, my mum and dad kind of went without a lot to be able to kind of give me the opportunities that I had. And, um, you know, it, it, it kind of, um, you know, you, you have to put the graft in, um, to, you know, get what you want out of it type thing. And, and paying someone else to do that would be, you know, a massive weight lifted off me and it would allow me to concentrate on other things. But ultimately if I haven't got the funds to do that, then, you know, I'll do it myself. And I have done for the last 20 years, um, you know, certain parts I enjoy, you know, I definitely enjoy certain aspects of aspects of it <clears throat> and, um, you know, learning new things and, you know, putting proposals and stuff together. It's quite a um, rewarding thing at the end of it when you put it together a nice kind of proposal piece, but it does take up time. However, when you're on flights quite a lot, that time can be put to use. So. Yeah, okay. I'm sort of feeling like we need an advert in the middle of this to sort of go, look, if anyone wants to sponsor Abby, then the, the link's in the show notes. So there you go. Yeah. I don't know who's, who's listening, but, um, um, so do you feel the, um, distraction then when you're bouncing from one thing to the next, um, do you feel a compromise in maybe the training, uh, recovery if it's physical or mental, but also perhaps the lack of time for that simulator type training? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's the same for any job, you know, not just motorsport and, you know, not just, um, you know, other sports as well. But, um, yeah, it definitely does have, a, have an impact. Um, you know, ultimately, recovery is super important when you're an athlete. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, when you're coming back from an injury, actually, recovery is probably the most important thing. 
but you know ultimately <clears throat> it's a little bit of a first world problem isn't it you know we're <clears throat> I'm getting to to do the things that I love and uh, that I enjoy and you know playing with cars in in all forms um you know it is a passion and always has been so you know you get really busy periods and then you get really quiet periods and in those quiet periods you think of the busy periods and wish that you know you're back in in that point there but um generally it does kind of balance itself out a little bit um you know the start of the season is always a little bit manic and then kind of mid-season there'll be some gaps um and then the end tends to be flat out again and then you have the off-season and you're back at it again so a bit of a rat race I suppose right okay um so can I ask you a little bit about um your abilities and 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 as you're starting to to progress through the ranks but also in the field that you compete in now um what are you good at? What separates you from other drivers? Um, I think I'm quite uh, adaptable to changes. Um, you know, because I've come from a background where money hasn't been, you know, everywhere, I've had to kind of have opportunities and been lucky to have opportunities where I can just jump into cars, random cars in random championships and have like a one-off race. Um, so you have to kind of think fast and switch things on quite quickly. Um, so, you know, for example, in the middle of the race, if there's a bit of rain or something like that, generally I can cope with that very well. And I've always been very good at race starts. Um, although my start in Barcelona was horrendous. Um, so we'll get that one done and out of the way early, but my first one in Miami was great. So yeah, first laps have always been a bit of a forte of mine. And, um, you know, I love the buzz of that, that some people are a little bit tentative whereas that's when I can really capitalize and, and really get you know some overtakes done on the, on the first lap or so so what, um, what's that Abby because that's interesting in that sense of um first lap it, it, it's not I'm presuming that it's not necessarily just your alert but that there's an because there's a lot going on and there's an element of risk taking there that you're prepared to take slightly greater risks than maybe other people to get to to take advantage of of that melee that goes on am I, am I sort of reading that correctly yeah yeah I think so that's definitely part of it and kind of you know trusting that perhaps the tires are not going to be 100% up to temperature but you know just sending it in and then dealing with what you get from the car so you know whether you have a bit of a slide mid corner or a bit of a lock up it's you know pushing the limits to the point where you can gain an advantage but you know hopefully you kind of um, have the boundaries just there that you know you don't end up hitting someone or you know firing yourself off in the process but you know, I think people can almost sometimes play it a little bit too safe. For example, you know, into turn one, it's generally, you know, try and cover the inside so no one can go up the inside. You know, it's more risky to hold around the outside because then if someone has an incident on the inside, the place that they're going to end up is being, you know, fired to the outside. But, you know, there's there's a lot to be gained from positioning yourself in the correct place. But equally, you can get caught out. For example, in Barcelona, you know, put some pretty good moves on people on the first lap but um they were overwhelmed i think with um the chaos that a first lap gives and um i had to back out of two or three moves otherwise i would have ended up in the wall quite hard so sometimes it bites you but um yeah i've had some luck with it so far through my career and how, how do you handle that pressure the pressure of that um reading lots of information at the same time uh, back in your experience, kind of keeping your nerves calm, but also, I suppose, being quite um, amped for those situations too, sort of dialing it up 
mentally to the right level, but not too much? I'm not really sure if there's anything you consciously do. I think it just happens. You, you're either good at it and you can do it or you're not. And um, I probably learned it without realising, you know, from when I was younger and maybe in karting and so on. But um, you don't really remember thinking about the first lap. It's just you see, because there's so much information coming at you so quickly, you know, it's a move now, 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 now type thing is everything just kind of has to happen there and then and you hope that you make the right decision you know for example if someone was stalled on the grid you hope that you pick the right side where there maybe isn't someone stalled on the other side so it's all really kind of you know instant decisions that, that you you make in the process which I suppose you know reaction games and that kind of stuff reaction training um will will help on that bit I think for sure Okay, so those sorts of reaction games like catching balls and, and batak type activities to sort of prime yourself in the moment. Do you do you notice um, anything deteriorate if you haven't been racing for a while? Is there anything that sort of you, you feel an ability in the same way that it might be strength or uh, or fitness might drop for a period of time? What, what comes back mentally? Um, everything drops when you, you've not been so, in a car for a while. Absolutely everything. And... Um, you know, your sharpness, your kind of, I suppose, exposure to speed as well. Um, I think definitely, you know, after being out for, well, what was it, five, five months with my back, you know, the first time back in an F3 car, I was thinking, God, this actually feels fast, um, which, you know, you you don't have usually, oh, I don't have usually, um, but, you know, give it a session in the car and then everything seems all normal again. But, you know, just your perception of kind of a little bit maybe spatial awareness around you, Perhaps, I mean, I don't really struggle with that too much, thankfully, although touch wood, I'm probably creating a rod for me and back now at Silverstone. Um, but yeah, reaction time, um, fitness, definitely kind of mental concentration, um, you know, is something heat um, exposure, you know, you, it's so hot in these cars abroad. I mean, Miami was, it was too hot. It actually wasn't enjoyable really to drive in that, that heat. Um, so just that, exposure to that kind of stuff so for example with training that I've just done there you know we had the heater on at um, 30 degrees and you know I'm wearing long sleeves long trousers just to try and replicate how um, hard it is in car mm. okay so you mentioned the crash and maybe we can come back to that in a moment but um, the the and you also allude to some of the demands um, what sort of have you got any facts and figures about you know the different types of pressures you're under the heart rate that you experience during the during racing what are the sort of facts and figures of the demands that you are under so my last race in barcelona my max heart rate was 180 um and my average was i think it was 150 something like that and that was for 40 minutes um, so I did it kind of just pre and post race, but actually it spanned for, I think it was about an hour and an hour and a half that actually my heart rate was elevated to, um, I think like over a hundred and something, hundred and something as, as an average for that entire time. Um, so, you know, you're working hard and a lot of people, you know, probably underestimate how difficult it is to drive a, a race car and specifically, you know, a single seater. Um, yeah, everything's super physical. The G forces, you know, the aero that and the grip that that provides you, and um, you know, none of these cars have power steering. You know, they don't have any 
um, elect- electric help or the brakes, you know, no servo or anything like that. So it is just purely, you know, your body that's creating these cars' um, ability to to move. Obviously, you know, apart from the engine and so on. But um, the demands are great. You know, in terms of water intake and, and dehydration, that um, you know you can lose three kilos after a race um, just purely with sweating it out. Um, and it's a constant battle with keeping topped up with with water. Um, but yeah, you do. I mean, yes, yeah, say myself. So I've got rehydration stuff in in this, yeah. um, <clears throat> and I have probably um, when I'm not training. You know, on a normal day, I'll still have rehydration stuff um, as well because as soon as you you dehydrate, you lose um, you know your cognitive ability to to make decisions good and and as accurate and as quickly as if you are you know properly hydrated and so do you have any benchmarks physically for um what you might better lift or aerobically for you to to get fit uh back after you've after you've getting back into a season or from recovery some drivers can just deal with it you know they don't even step one foot in the gym and actually they're they're okay in car you know they just run and bear it and i think they're superhuman if they're able to do that um and in terms of cardio again it's very kind of um individual some people might you know have a heart rate of you know 180 and actually feel quite easy with it others might have a lower heart rate but actually struggle quite a lot um so you know it's it's, it's more subjective on the sense of if you drive the car and you think Do you know what you know my heart rate's through the roof i'm out of breath you know too early then you need to push harder and, and build endurance and you know that that side of things recovery is very um important and the, the fitter you can be cardio based um then you know, the easier you'll be to recover and deal with jet lag and and all that kind of stuff as well yeah okay and so um we've, we've alluded to sort of recovery coming back from injury um that's that's how i um found out about you saw the profile on the bbc site tell, tell me a little bit about the the crash what, what happened um, so it wasn't even really a crash. It was quite an unspectacular, I'd say, incident. Um, racing at the last round of W Series in um, Texas. And um, on that circuit, they've got these big kind of sausage curves, which are basically like a speed bump that you'd find on the road, but just way, way bigger and meaty. And um, they're kind of set on the edge of the track and they're there in place to prevent... Um, people abusing track limits so you know some people might run wide and carry you know another 10 mile an hour through the corner and ultimately get a fast lap time so they're there to try and make the racing better and you know fair um but what had happened with myself was I kind of you know made a, a minor mistake ran wide probably like you know a, not even a foot um and it basically dragged me onto the sausage curbs and I hit one of the curves with the tub of the car and it kind of hopped me and then landed me directly on another one, which it basically was like an instant stop. So I kind of jolt, jolted forward and um, fractured two, two of my vertebrae and my thoracic um, spine. So not ideal, but um, I suppose those risks come with, with both sports. And, and what do you remember about the incident? And you know, did you immediately realise the severity of it? Yeah, I knew straight away that I, I broke my back. Um, I heard the vertebrae crunch. I heard it, uh, you know, crush, and uh, the pain was kind of instant. And I remember thinking, like, you know, as I was pointing 
facing up to the sky, I thought, I think I've just broken my back. And then I thought, oh no, my mum's watching this. So she's not, she's not going to deal with this very well. Um, you know, then landed back on the ground and um, then it was just a case of, right, you know, this is how it is. So, you know, whatever's going to happen next, you've got to deal with, with it and, um, you know, whatever comes your way, just, yeah, deal with it as best you can. And, you know, thankfully I kind of um, stopped, the break had kind of stopped at 50%. So one one of the vertebrae was a 50% crush fracture and then the one underneath basically at the end of it kind of popped off. So generally with those kind of fractures, if it's kind of 50% or more, that's when they become kind of unstable and um, require surgery. And that's when, you know, spinal cord um, damage can can happen. But thankfully I was saved from, from that. And um, it was a case of wearing this brace, back brace and neck brace. I had a neck collar on and um, kind of a, a back brace all, all down my, my um, yeah, torso, I guess. And was in that for four months. So day and night, 24-7. So you, you mentioned something there. You just got to get on with it and deal with it. Was that? How you responded mentally? Were you able to process that, you know, sat in the car experiencing that pain? Or or is that the benefit of hindsight that you've kind of matured your thoughts and forgotten all about the incident? No, that's that was my thought straight away. It was, wow. you know, I've just got to crack on. And it was almost like mind over matter. Um, you know, I think I'm, I'm quite proud of how I kind of mentally dealt with the injury. Um whether it's right or wrong to do it this way or not, you know, how I was able to cope with it was to actually not acknowledge the severity of it probably, and just think, you know, I'll do what the doctors are saying. You know, my consultant was awesome and my physios and all the team that I had around me and the, you know, the strict advice that I had was to, um, to rest for six weeks as in you want to lay horizontal for six weeks um, and, you know, don't move. So, you know, it's tough for an athlete to hear that, you know, you always want to be doing something that you feel is productive to move forwards towards your end goal, which is going to be, you know, getting fit again, but to do nothing was, was tough, but I made it my job to do nothing. Um, you know, I had to make sure that my sleep was good. You know, I was getting a, a brilliant amount of hours sleep because, you know, your body works in overtime to repair, even though you're not physically doing something just your body working in the background to fix those breaks um you know was was grueling on on you know my body so sleeping well being fed well you know thankfully my I was up in my parents um house and they looked after me fed me some proper northern grub um and yeah just I suppose um you know really make most of the support network that I had around me at that time and you know once those six weeks first six weeks were done then it moved on to kind of uh, rehab which was um painful a lot of the time but I felt so so good to actually be able to do something like my mind felt so um you know I was excited for the next stage of of recovery which was you know physical recovery and um you know we went from strength to strength with that and um consultant was happy the scans were looking good but it was a case of you know don't overdo it obviously um and then I was able to remove the brace uh mid-February so did it at the end of October um remove the brace mid-February and and then how's that been in terms of easing yourself back into the to the physical pressures I mean I, I guess a a good example might be um a footballer getting 
getting fit in the, on the training fields, but actually simulating match play and demands um, on the pitch is going to be completely different and will wake up muscles that will be, uh, you know, that won't get that same level of intensity. How did you kind of progress from thinking, okay, there's a severe neck injury here through to um, back to racing? Um, well, I just did it all in Miami at the first round. <laughs> I, didn't have, I didn't have time nor the money to um, to have the luxury of doing any a lot of testing. Um, you know, I was able to um, do a test in a Formula 3 car, which was a necessity set by W Series to, you know, have, give them confidence that I was fit enough to drive in their race cars again for the year. So, um, a friend of mine very kindly set up a um, GoFundMe site when the injury happened, and um, so so many awesome people donated to kind of help fund my recovery. And you know, if any of them are listening, I just want to say a huge thank you because actually, you know, they covered my rent, they covered all of my scans, they covered my physio, my training, and actually they were able to cover the the tester that I had to do that actually was able to get me the drive back in W series. So yeah, that one drive was, um, at Snetterton in the UK. It's probably, it's probably the toughest track for single seaters and cars with aero, you know, physically for a driver to drive on. And I did it in a GB three car, which is now probably one of the most physical F three cars as well. So at the end of that day, I'm not ashamed to say I was very sore and I slept a lot. Um, and I ate junk food afterwards because I was like, this is, I need to treat myself here. I'm having a McDonald's on the way home. Um, but it did, it did the job, you know, I made it through the day and I loved it. It was so good to get back in car. And then, yeah, the stuff in the gym is great for trying to build that level of strength, but you're never, um, you know, being race fit is the best way. And um, Miami was a shock to the system, which I knew it would be, um, you know, we had a, a test session, a quali, and then we had two races. So, you know, it was, um, a bit of a meaty weekend and couple that with the, the heat out there was, um, yeah, pretty, pretty hardcore. But when I eventually got to Barcelona a couple of weeks later, already, I feel like my fitness and endurance has improved from then. So we're, um, we're well on the way, but yeah, a little bit more work to do. Yeah. Amazing. So let's just recap that then. Um, Northern Grub for the recovery process and McDonald's as the reward yep. after That's racing. It. Okay. Tea and biscuits. Right. Tea, yeah. and bi- tea and biscuits. Okay. Tea York. and biscuits as recovery. Yeah. Okay. Rich, rich tea. What are we talking about? What sort of going, what biscuit are we going for? Optimum racing performance. Caramel um, digestives. Oh, very so specific. It's like digestive with a layer of caramel in it. You yeah, are going to okay. have transformed your life. Uh, that's the sort of biscuit that would they'd only stock on a special at the local co-op, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, they're called VIP biscuits, to be fair. VIP. <laughs> wow. Okay, so put that into your recovery plans, everyone. Um, could If I sort of zoom out a little bit, what are your um, experiences as a woman in a male-dominated event? What's your sort of your reading of the landscape at the moment? And where does the sport need to go for in, in your thoughts? I think, you know, time definitely changing. And I think that's not just exclusively in, in motorsport. I think it's, you know, sports across the board. I think are kind of really, there's a nice push with, with females um, and women's sport now, which is, is fab. And I think motorsport is really embracing that. And I think, you know, there's a bit of a testament to W Series, um, which is a, 
a female-only single-seat championship. Um, you know, yes, I don't think the way to go is to have you know male motorsport and female motorsport. I don't think that's what it, it should be. But I think you know W Series needs to be praised for actually raising um, the issue of funding for females in motorsport and um, you know giving opportunities to 18 of us to actually drive you know Formula 3 car at um, F1 race weekends and, and getting that track time because actually without W Series um, my last full year of racing was 2016 so and over my 21 year period I've actually only ever had five full years of, um, of competing so um, it is tough you know it's not just for, tough for females you know it's, it's tough for, for everyone you know guys and girls alike but I think there just seems to be a little bit of stigma still attached to females in motorsport, which, you know, it, it's definitely going in the right direction. And, you know, I'd like to think that I've kind of maybe helped that journey a little bit through through my career. Um, but I think, yeah, there's still a little bit of work to be done, but, but you know, we're, we're going in the right direction. And what's your thoughts then, if you hint to the fact that having separate series is not the way forward? Are you looking to... for more women to break through into the, you know, the, the full F1 that's dominated by, by male racers? Yeah, I think it will happen. Um, you know, I think there are, there is so much motorsport out there. It's not just Formula One. And I think probably, you know, the um, normal average guy or girl on the street probably doesn't actually realise the extent of, of what motorsport championships are available. And everyone and the media included are probably quite, um, you know, fixated and excited about trying to get a female into F1. Um, I think it will happen. It definitely is going to happen. Um, I think probably not in the near future, maybe kind of five to seven years, something like that for like a full-time female F1 driver that's you know good. Um I think there'll be opportunities for females to do free practice sessions and so on in the next you know, year, two years, three years, something like that. Um, but I think it's it's changing already. You know, you see when you go back to karting championships, actually there's loads of, of girls involved in each championship now. And you go to tracks, there's you know, female mechanics, there's female engineers, data um, coaches, um, drivers, marshals, you know, everyone... Um, is really welcoming females on board. And I think that's great because, you know, we're all, motorsport is one big family. You know, we're all like-minded people. We all get a buzz out of cars in one way or another. Um, and we should all embrace everyone, whoever they are, wherever they've come from, whatever their background is, you know, everyone should be welcomed into the sport. And and so what do you think it will take? Uh, is that investment? Um, is that some talent ID programs? What, what, what are the sorts of things that, that need to happen to, to allow that sort of penetration into well, maybe it's a bit of a Roger Bannister. Once is one, then a few will follow. Yeah, I think it's probably a case of that. You know, um, the CEO of W Series, Catherine, she says this quote, you know, if you can see it, you can be it. And I think probably, you know, the, those that are kind of creeping into those roles that are probably high profile roles, I think they will have a huge effect. But I do think that there definitely needs to be, you know, more investment. Um, which again, there, it is happening. It is starting to happen now. So I think actually we're not seeing the benefits fully yet. I think they will be, you know, a few years down the line to see the benefit of those. You know, for example, obviously W Series, the FIA Women in Motorsport Movement, um, got the Iron Links program, which is you know GT-based program with um, a team called the Iron Dames, which are, are female drivers there. And um, 
you know, there is a big initiative in all kind of forms of motorsport, really, for, for trying to encourage females into it. And, you know, I think Rome wasn't built in the day. You know, if you try and do it all at once, you know, I think it's just motorsport has been this way for a long time. So I think you just need to chip at it um, and, you know, not not try and ask too much too early. Yeah. OK. And so what's next? Uh, you've got back into a car, you've, you've thrown yourself into it. Um you've recovered from this this incident what what's next for you what's the next sort of landmark for you um you know I'm not done with racing just yet um there's still a bit of work for me physically um to get back to even where I was last year um I think I've definitely got my head around driving a single seater a lot more than last year last year was my first ever time in a single seater so um I've learned the ropes a little bit last year and um you know I just want to put it on to practice this year but our body's just got to catch up yet. You know, I've, I've had a, a very different off season to everyone else. You know, everyone else has been in cars testing, you know, not everyone, but a few of them, you know, 15, 20 days of testing over the off season, whereas I've done, you know, not a lot uh, in terms of physical side of things, but, um, you know, we'll get there. And I knew coming into the season that the first half was going to be like this. Um, and it was the second half that I'm really looking for, you know, some, decent finishes like I, I started to to get towards in the last year and um you know it's you've got to pace yourself and and look at actually where you come from and, and the progression that I've made otherwise it's very easy to get um, frustrated as a driver as a you know someone that you know wins things and you know is competitive I don't like finishing mid-grids never mind you know at the back of the grids um as I've done you know at the last round so um progress to be made but um yeah I'm not giving up just yet no, I love that. So that's a nice pragmatic kind of view of I've got I'm hungry, but I also recognise the achievements that that um and the and the journey that you've gone on that actually showing yeah you've you've made a lot of progress recently. Um, it's hard to see that. Don't get me wrong. I have to yeah. be reminded of it a lot. Um, you know, I'm not ashamed to say it at Barcelona at the weekend. You know, I was just in a right state. Uh, you know, thinking what I'm putting all this effort in and actually. You know, I'm not really getting any reward from it yet. You know, I've got to have a bit of luck on my side at some point. You know, the first round I got, I was in sixth place, which I was thinking like, this is a brilliant start to the season. And then I got hit hit off the track. Um, and then in at Barcelona in qualifying, my car broke. So I, I ended up starting lasting in, in the race. So um, it'll come. And actually a really nice quote that someone actually told me at the weekend was, um, your your past is your lesson your present is your gift and your future is your motivation so that kind of resonated with me and yeah gave me a bit of perspective on things again which you do need at times well power to you literally um abby but um i'm hearing psychologist i'm hearing uh physiologist trainer um i'm hearing mechanic i'm hearing data scientist um I'm hearing not maybe not a nutritionist actually, but um, <laughs> everything else I could hear. You're spinning <laughs> so many plates and 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 doing amazing things. So um, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. No, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen i really hope you enjoyed this week's conversation now we've got plenty more to come so if you'd like to support and champion us then take the time to subscribe and leave a review on spotify itunes stitcher youtube or wherever you tune in you can also give us a follow on twitter instagram and linkedin 
All the links are in the show notes. So in the meantime, have a great week.